Welcome to today's episode of the Baco Sports Report on the Live from Lake Balfour Podcast Network. And we are now joined here on the line, trying out some new technology here. We're going with Zoom for the first time. We've heard the people's request for better audio quality, so we're going to deliver that. Greg and Danny Silver, it's been, what, like a week and a half since our last episode. How you guys been in the time in between? Doing great, Patty. Having a big quarantine. I'm hanging in, hanging in, quarantining well. All right, good to hear. So our format for today's podcast is we're going to talk about a few different topics that I've experienced in my time at camp that I want to learn a little bit more of the history of. So the first thing I want to start with with you guys is I want to discuss the art of running into the dining hall after winning a tournament. So, of course, it's been a long-standing tradition at Baco that when you win a big tournament, like 14s baseball, 16s basketball, like the big tournaments, the ones that just like mean a lot, when you win those tournaments, I remember my first summer in 2013, like having no idea what was coming. Because, you know, like as you get older and to like counselor, like you usually you've been around long enough, like you get the sense, like, why are they holding dinner back? Like, why is Greg stalling in the counselor ring? Like you get things. But when I was a 10 year old kid, my first summer, the 14s baseball team won and they ran and I had no idea what was going on. So that brings me to my point. What is the art of running to the dining room? When was it created? How did it come about? And we'll get into more of the recent stuff about it later. But let's start off with that. I mean, uh, I don't know. I've been in camp a long time. I don't know when it started. I think it predates my career. So it's probably an early 80s thing. And I came in in 86. But my first memory of it, and I remember it, like it was yesterday. I can feel the energy in camp that day was... 13 and under Brant Lake uh, basketball tournament and I was you know in bunk 11 or something and and people came running in I visually I have this visual memory of Andrew Grable and Jeb Beckerman running in these are guys I mean Grable is still a good friend of mine his girls go to Shanawa uh, and they ran in and wearing the old Bakel golds and to this day, you know, 35 years later, it's still the exact same thing. You know, they come in and you can you hear their, their feet on the gravel, you know, like running faster. And then it just enters the dining room and it's like an explosion. And I mean, Danny's been through a lot of them. I'm sure he can tell you a lot of Right. That. So I was going to say that before we get into that, I was going to say that you guys are both very integral parts of the running into the dining room process, but on different ends. Greg, your job is often stalling slash making up excuses why, you know, the kitchen staff is ready to serve the food, and yet everyone's just sitting there for 20 minutes, or why we're in the counseling longer. And Danny, you're probably the one who's waiting on the bus sometimes to run in. So as your different perspectives, Danny, you've been part of a lot of run-ins from winning teams. What's the experience like, and what's the vibe like? Because you get on the bus after you win the tournament, everyone's gone crazy. You know, now you ride in 50 minutes to get back to Baco. What's that experience like, and what's it like when you finally get there and are running in? All right, so just to give you a little bit of the logistical planning that goes into it is, you know, depending on what tournament you're at, what camp you're at, the finals of the tournaments are at different times. Like, you know, when you win Echo Lake, it's usually a, you know, like a three o'clock final. You hit a McDonald's, you know, you got to do a little bit of the time killing. You're trying to, you know, you know, camp usually enters the dining room around six o'clock. 
Um, so you want to time it, you know, after six, but before people start leaving. So you're looking for like a six and six oh two. Yeah, you're looking like a six o'clock arrival on campgrounds, um, and then you know that's all done. I'll call the office. Whoever's on office duty puts me on the line with Greg or Allison, and we'll figure out how it's going to work, the timing. Um, and then we get off the bus. We try to stay out of everybody's way. Usually we have a small handful of people that know um, that can radio us. And there's yeah. then, after the small period of people who know, there's like another subset of people who don't know from firsthand. But you just assume, at some point, like, you don't see them, and you don't see them, and you don't see them. You feel it in the air. Yeah, you feel it in the air. Also, like, you know if we don't win, we probably would show up already. Exactly. Um, Or I would say, yeah, we lost in the semis, you know, and everyone knows. Once once we get the green light, we're usually up. You know, I don't want to give too much away because I feel like it's one of those you have to be there. You have to experience it. Um... So, and every group that I've run down with, and it, you know, it's been a, it's been a small handful. It hasn't been, you know, it's still very special every single time. Um, because usually whoever's doing it, it's their first or second time. Um, and it's about the campers. So, you know, I kind of let them take the lead on it, but we try the one role I try to play is I try to time it up right. So the campers get the most out of it. Um, and then after that, it's really up to them. So I don't really want to go into the detail what goes on when we get off the bus. But um, the running in and that moment where you open up the senior dining room door and the camp has obviously seen you run from probably the time you got to the office down to the dining room. You know, the camp is already in an uproar. And it's one of those like Rushmore, Baco kind of moments no that matter who you are. If you've been you're a player or a kid. If you've been a part of it, you know what I'm talking and about. And I feel like what's crazy about it is like I'm sure like I have a feeling, I'm sure you guys have that feeling. I'm sure every single person listening who's seen it has the feeling like I can envision that exact moment in my head right now, even though like I haven't seen it in, you know, eight, nine months. I know like that exact moment where you see them running down and like it's like a wave because like you're maybe you're in the junior dining room and then all of a sudden you like hear people going crazy and you're like, Oh my God, they won. Yeah, and then I you think, go, cra- I it's think like wherever you are in your Baco life and wherever that geographically puts you in the dining room, I think every single spot is unique, whether you're the first table in, in the senior dining room or whether you're a senior server, I feel like, I feel like for everybody it's special and it's a, such an amazing camp moment. And you know, fortunately, if you go to camp long enough, you get one or two. And I think the best ones are the ones you don't expect. The ones that 100%. when you wake up in the morning, you don't expect them to be coming back. And if it's um, just me, I feel like that's why the one a couple of years ago when uh, we finally broke through in one sixteens um, back in 2018. Now, I think that it comes with a asterisk to the point of unexpected that was a team with glasser and fema that was a legit team but in the perspective of you haven't won history but no one was expecting it right but you haven't won in 10 years everyone assumes that until proven otherwise brand is going to dominate the rivalry and all of a sudden like i remember thinking during that exact moment i could picture where i was in the dining room and i remember hoppy actually coming over and saying to me like 
they did it. They won. And I'm like, Hoppy, like, they didn't do it. They did not win. Like, there's no way. And I'm like, do you have evidence? He's like, no, I just feel it. And then, like, five minutes later, you just hear, like, yeah, like, the collective, like, roar. And all of a sudden, they all come through, and it's just crazy. So I think, why don't we get into your memories of that specific day a couple summers ago? Because that was the infamous time when the floor broke in the dining room. Yeah, so, and Craig, you probably had a different perspective on this one, but... Um, first of all, I remember the time Greg was talking about with Jeff Beckerman and Andrew Grable. That, that was my first memory of the dining room. Um, I also remember being 13, running in. My brother was a waiter, and you were a waiter, Greg, for the first table in, and I was the first one to open the door, and you engulfed me with this hug, and everybody ran by me. Um, so when everybody runs in, you know, everybody kind of congregates towards the senior dining room serving station, which for some of you alumni that didn't do buffet, that's like, how would you describe the location? Uh, the junior dining room is, is bigger now, and so that creates a bigger space where the food is served. I guess it's like by the countertop. For those of you that are pre-1988 waiters, that's like where the countertop is, where like the back kitchen is. So that whole space is now much bigger because the junior dining room is much bigger. So you can grow that space. And that's where so every, yeah, so everybody go up there and they get, and now that the new tradition, I don't know if it's that new anymore. Someone on the team, whether it be a coach or the captain will give a speech about what happened that day that they're always really out of breath and not very organized. No bottom line. We came back, we played sick, like give it up, like bagel pride. Essentially, no one actually garners one piece of factual information from the speech, but you knew they won, and that's like... So, so a little background on that. I think when I was younger, people ran into the dining room, it was bedlam, and then I think when I was a counselor, the coaches started to give speeches now, you know, we let the kids do it, and it's like, you know, we came out, we played Forest, blah, blah, blah. But this particular year, 2018... Uh, there was just a massive, I guess, uh, like a like, dance party. Huddle. It wasn't even a dance party. It was just a massive wave of excitement where you get a lot of campers and counselors jumping around. And if you look at the dining room, you know, uh, as you get, if you look on the other side of the dining room, the bunk four side, you see like the dining room is kind of like a balcony a little bit. And people were jumping and the floor um nobody was in danger but the floor kind of i don't know it buckled a little bit <laughs> I, 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 it didn't break it like got you know like the well had had third parties and uh not interjected it may have gotten worse but i think it spoke to the pure elation of the moment and just kind yeah. of the feeling where you could just see it was the first time they'd won 16s in 10 years it was just like oh my god we did it and like at that point it's just there's no regard for, you know, the floor breaking except for responsible people like you guys who actually have to come in there and save it. But I think that that speaks to just the magic of that moment and how... I think it's important to know two, two things about that is, number one, nobody was hurt nor, nor would have... No, nobody would have gotten hurt. Of course. So this isn't like... It's not like a safety... Th- the floor was fine. It was underneath where some of the support things weren't going to be able to continue to hold it like we wouldn't be able to do that sort of celebration a 
again, then maybe someone would have got hurt. But it's not like anybody was in danger. And then the second thing was the the whole like topic of of the floor suffering uh, some damage was like it was like a it was like a camp thing. You know, like people were oh, we're never going to be able to run in the dining room ever again. Like, what are we going to do now? As if it like really actually matters. You know, I mean, of course it matters, but so it doesn't really matter. So at the end of the summer, Danny, you want to talk about what happened at the bank? Yeah, so the, 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 the two lasting impacts of this, I want to bring up the end of the summer, the last morning of camp um, of that summer, 2018, you know, breakfast is at 6 a.m. It's kind of turned into a kind of, you know, over the years, that's been a miserable breakfast. But over the last decade, it's turned into like, you know, one of the more funny moments in camp. And that summer, we well, had kill the lights. Credit, but give credit where credit is due, because Rick... Yeah, I, Rick still had his speakers in there the from the banquet. Are in the, the speakers are in the dining room from the from the banquet. From so, the Kill the Lights is playing, and the whole camp at 6.14 a.m. And that was the summer where that song was like the song of the summer, right? Yeah. So, 6.14 a.m., the last morning of the summer, the whole camp's doing a conga line, and... During the part where normally the entire camp would all jump up and start dancing, there was like an unspoken communal understanding of like, we're going to not jump. And everybody, I just remember looking at Ryan Wilkoff was the guy I remember looking at. Everybody looked at each other and was just like, we like fake jumped in our heads and we knew it was like. But every single kid knew too. And it was, it was really amazing. And then. And then the second lasting impact of this is, you know, this year in 2019, this past summer when we won, we staged the run-in um, almost like a college basketball-style storm the court where Greg made up some ridiculous reason to have the kids on the on the hill by the big court and we entered from the tennis shack side. But I think I there's a big difference. I, I think there's a big still- difference with that, though, because that feels much more to me like – an Olympic break than it does a dining room because it's like seeing a concert indoors or outdoors. Like running, yeah, we're working. You know, we were trying to work with what what we got. I remember being on the phone with Allison and Greg trying to figure out the best way to do it. Um, but the dining room thing, I mean, I guess we ended it with a bang. I mean, we ended it you literally know, the right way. But you know, another thing is a whole nother topic and. I don't know if we want to drive down this road, but what qualifies dining room run worthy? Yes, I was so. So I have two more things on this subject. I have first, we need to talk about what is the difference between what tournaments do you put in the category of like full dining room, like people mosh pitting, like just pure elation, okay, so- as opposed to like the counselor and run, like everyone's psyche won, but it's not like, oh my God, I'm going to remember this in 15 years. So there's a couple of factors. I think. <clears throat> Obviously, it has to be an away tournament, so that's the first deciding factor. It can't be a home tournament, of obviously. Second thing is, the t- you can't have young like if there's a 12, 12 and under or thirteen under baseball tournament that ends at four o'clock. You can't have them; they're too young to have on a bus or go to dinner. You know that, and they, you just got to have them run in at the council. Room. You know, you're lucky if you can hold off till then. And then there's the I think so. There's the age factor, and then there's also the cleats factor. You know, if you're a baseball team and you didn't bring sneakers, you're not. You can't run into the dining room. Like, legs off on this one. Everybody that goes to a baseball tournament brings another pair of footwear. I mean, I've been on these. Things. I don't remember baseball teams running in very often. I mean, there's a couple of like odd, 
more odd celebrations that have happened over the years. No, well, that's what I was saying. My first summer when they won 14's baseball, they ran in the dining room, and it was like, that one I was truly, like, I had no idea what was going on. I think think the quick answer is the oldest age group tournament for that sport. So 14's baseball. um, You know, there used to be a 15 soccer, which before that was a 16 soccer. They used to always run in for that. Now soccer only goes up to eighth grade, and we host it. So tournaments to that point are basically 13's hoops, 16's hoops, and 14's baseball at that point. I mean, tennis isn't going to run in. It's a different kind of animal. Um, I don't know. I, you know, it's one of those things you just you kind of got to get. I feel like some years certain tournaments warrant a run in, and that same tournament the next year might not. I would say. 13's hoops, 16's hoops, 14's baseball are kind of like the big three um, as far as away tournament run-ins. In 94, we won 16 soccer, and but we didn't run in because we went to SPAC straight from Grant for for a trip night. <clears throat> we we like got back too late to run in, so we put our trophies on the serving tables so when kids came in for breakfast, they would just see the trophies, and we thought that would be a good celebration. But it, it didn't hit well. It didn't hit well. Yeah, it didn't I, I was like 13. Honestly, Matty, I, I would describe it as senior division out-of-camp tournaments. Yeah, that's fair. That's so, a good general answer. Yeah. My second question, I heard you mention this earlier at McDonald's, Danny. So for those of you who are a bit rusty on your intercamp information, Echo Lake is like five minutes in the right direction from McDonald's. My question is, of course, you're going to take a team. You win 16. It's like, you're going to McDonald's. You're so excited. You're going to McDonald's. There's someone walking. So this is my question. So there's, you know, there's always going to be the, the kid who and then, like, spends 20 bucks and, like, somehow. But my point is, what's the art of the losing team going to McDonald's? Because you guys have obviously well, been on a lot of those trips as well. How do are you... Are talking specifically 16's basketball? Yes, but there's also plenty of others, like, you know, a solid 12 baseball loss to John go to McDonald's. hosts a lot of tournaments, and I feel like it's one of those things where if you go there, it's like your one trip to McDonald's during the summer. It's kind of like the rite of passage. Um, and I think every age group from about sixth grade and up gets a, gets a crack at going to Echo at some point during the summer. Um, so it's also... You know, it also helps out on on the back end. It's like if you drop a bunch of intermediate division kids in camp at three fifty eight, that's like a headache for more people. Like you might as well eat the time at at McDonald's. And as far as sixteens, I mean, these guys are waiters. Like they've been looking forward to it. If they lose, the least they could do is get a Big Mac. You, you know, and delay the inevitable of. Uh, having to go back to camp so it's a, as someone who's coached both winning and losing 16s basketball teams does your order at mcdonald's change whether or not you won if you depending on if you won or lost the game like if you're in a really good mood after you win like are you going all out with like a double quarter pounder and large fries it's a great question it's a great question i think my big mac extra value meal stands regardless whether i add the um What's the McDonald's, like, uh, ice cream? Oh, the, the, the McFlurry? Whether I add a 
McFlurry is based on how we do, probably. I think it's probably not or, probably or, or the heat of the day. Side of it very often, but I, I would think that the, the dollar figure probably comes close as an equal spend. But what you're getting is probably going to differ whether you win or lose. You know, like if you win, you might not even be like you might be not really thinking eating. You're just going to buy a bunch of stuff and share. Like, like be like the guy that gets a twenty piece or something and share. Versus if you lost, you're just you're getting what you can before you go home, you know? Yeah. Either way, no, regardless of whether you win or lose and how unbelievable it is or how heartbreaking it is, everybody's pumped about walking into McDonald's. Of course. What's <laughs> the, like a big tradition. What's the yeah. most you've ever seen someone who's like a classic McDonald's person who just orders with, like the grossest amount of food? Can you I'm think sure of your uncle Josh? It's, it's definitely whatever second or third year counselor is on that trip. Fair enough. So, my next question for you, Greg, on semi-related. So, I know, like, I want to say, you might have gone again this year, but I remember last year for maybe 2018, I know you went to the Brant Lake, that night game, the one um, playing against those kids for the last time at Brant Lake. And had you been to Brant, like, have you been, because obviously, Danny, you're going to these places to coach, but, like, Greg, have you been to Brant Lake for, like, 30 years? Like, you're walking back in these places, like, does it look the same? Does it feel the same? Is the Good question. So, I'm not going to, well, I'm not going to, I'm not going to talk about the camp, but my travel in and out Yes, camp, your travel. So, like, you know, when I was a kid, obviously, I went on all the tournaments and all, all the inner camps and whatever, and as a counselor and a group leader, I led a bunch of trips. And but once I settled in as like the program director, which now has been a very long time, leaving camp wasn't it wasn't in the cards. I, I don't think I had left camp. It, it's sort of like when people call me during the summer up at camp and say, "Hey, I'm coming up to visit. Where should I stay?" It's like I I'm the one person that doesn't know where to stay. Like I don't you know like I've never I don't ever have to stay anywhere. So it's kind of like that with the other other camps. I hadn't been to another camp in so many years, but the, it was. I went the last two years, and both games were just unbelievable to watch. And for me, the whether win or lose, whatever. The best part for me is two things. Number one, being right there when Danny's coaching on the road is the it's it's the, in my opinion the greatest thing I could ever see, and uh, I could watch it all the time, twenty four seven. It's the best. But the, and the other side of it is Bruno always goes, but he drives his own car. Right? He doesn't come on a bus with us. And uh, and just getting that time with Bruno is, is quality. So those two things make it all worth it. All right. Sounds good. So now we're going to shift our focus of topics. We've now made it somewhat like 22, 23 minutes just on this topic. So we're going to shift over another burning question I had that I want to know the history of is – I want to know the history of the kid in the Apache Relay who tags the Baco 3 shooter. So, if you haven't listened yet, uh, me, Greg, and Danny, we did a podcast about the Apache Relay back in the summer. You can find that in the archives here of this podcast feed. So, we did that, but I think one of the topics, because I was just listening to that a few days ago, over again, and I feel like one of the big topics that I really wanted to hit on that we haven't yet is... We talked a lot in that podcast about the importance of different relay events, but 
I want to talk about the kid who tags the Baco 3 shooter because there it's always a little kid. But of course, if you tag a Baco 3 shooter one year, then of year end, that guy hits it in three, then you're automatically tagging the guy the next year for whatever team you're on. There's a lot of like luck and theory of different karma. So what's your take on the evolution and just like the value placed on who's tagging the Baco 3 shooter? I'm going to let Danny drive the car on this one, but I just about the podcast you mentioned about the Apache Relay, that was the August 9th. I think it was the 20, yeah, August 9th from 2019 summer. And according to Allison, it's the most downloaded and listened to podcast. Yes, it is. So uh, if you haven't listened to that one yet, I, I, I recommend it. I listen to it all the time. Um, first of all, it wasn't always a little kid. Um, when I was growing up in camp, it was in the senior division. Uh, there was a lot of waiters tagging waiters. There really? was a lot of the guy who just missed the winning the shootout, um, you know, tagging the guy that won it. Like, I remember Corey Ziskin tagging Brian Rader. I remember maybe even Andy Siegel back in 1990 tagging Brett Semmel or Brett Semmel tagging him. I think Chris George has tagged me. Yeah, I think I think over the years people got smart and realized you don't want to waste one of your better. I'll use the word waste. You you don't want to um, utilize one of your better athletes on that event because if you look back at if you listen to the relay pod, you know there's certain events that really move the needle. And I think it's a run from like bunk eight to the courts. It's not exactly something you want to use a guy who could be packing the bag or, you know, rowing the boat. Uh, yeah, I, I think there's a couple of different ways you arrive at the person. One is, let's say, let's say a waiter has a little brother that's on his team that's in bunk 10, and that waiter is shooting the three. He wants his brother to tag him. Okay. So I assume that Greg Danny wasn't on your team waiter summer, he and if he, if was he not. was, would you have had him tag you? By that, Danny was thirteen. Uh, I was already, I, I had already seen it. Um, I had the coach tag me. The coach was an Upper Cowser House kid at the when I was a waiter, and he's my first cousin. So I kind of looked at the list and was like, "Yep, the coach is tagging me." But I feel like now the one way you arrive at it is kind of like the nepotism way. Um, and that I just described. And then the other way is when the waiters are busy assigning relay activities, you eventually end up with seven or eight kids spanning mostly junior division to intermediate. And you have seven or eight events left. And then you kind of just do the math and figure it out. Um, what used to be a bigger deal, Greg, and correct me if I'm wrong on this, it wasn't just who tagged the guy that hit the three. It's who the guy tagged was also yeah, tagged. Yeah. Wait, but I don't understand that part because by definition, you've already finished the three. You've either shot it well or you haven't. I'm not sure how the person afterwards would late. None of it matters, Maddie. Like none of it matters. Face I want to see after I hit it. Yeah, know? but there's a logic. There's a logic. Like we can debate the merits of using someone who's going to be a quote unquote good luck charm to tag the person. I think there's no debate. We cannot debate whether or not you should use, like, a person who could be valuable in a lot of other places to yeah, get that, tagged. That, that spot's also changed over the years. It's not just tagging someone and them running. It's, sometimes it's running and going to play trumpet or bugle or whatever, and sometimes it's yeah. running to this place. It used to be running up to the dining room. Now I think the person runs to bunk eight to start the number 10 cans to get the waterfront stuff going. But I would say every, you know, every 
decade of camp or every five years of camp, there's always the one kid that's rolling around camp that's 11 or 12 that can tell you, oh, I tagged this guy when my first year he hit it in four. I tagged this guy, he hit it in three. I tagged this guy, he hit it in three. And then eventually that kid graduates into the senior division and doesn't do it anymore. But there's, there's one out there now. I remember when I was a kid, Ryan Goodhart, a.k.a. Ed Harley, my bunkmate, who I had a Zoom session with last night, he, he had a whole resume of who he tagged and all that. But eventually, you know, once you hit the Cowser house, I feel like you're needed for other stuff. Um, but so it's just one of those classic answer. emotional camp. Go no, on record and say Ed, Ed Harley nickname is one of the better nicknames in camp, and that's probably a whole other podcast. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, I, I don't think there's much to it. I just think it's either the nepotism or the process of, of elimination. I don't think it's – I don't see many waiters tagging waiters now. I could be wrong. You, you probably well, hold on. I think that you are correct that I don't think we we're seeing waiters taking waiters. But I think there is some strategy towards the little kid is that kid – Gonna be a good luck charm. I mean, you know, you never know. Strategy and good luck. There, charm. there, there is more. I think there's more. Having been someone who was on Olympic teams with people choosing who was gonna tag them, I think there's a little more thought given to it than just there are eight kids left. Like yeah, there's thought given to it. There's thought. There's thought. Yeah, there's there there's gotta be. But I will say to the alumni out there, it is not as big of a thing. As it was in the '90s, and probably before that. All right. Next, I know Greg. Glad we, we covered that topic. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Thanks. Ha- we had to get it out of the way. I was just listening the other day to the podcast. I was like, "That's what that's a hole in our Apache Relay podcast." So we have to yeah. we have to close that one. So, anyways, I wanted to <laughs> next talk about Greg. I know you wanted to do some camp geography type questions. So why don't you start us off with the types of places and camp that you think. What do you think is the most underrated, just like place in camp? Like, if you right now could go from your living room to any place in camp that like people wouldn't think of off the top of their head, where would it be? The most underrated place in camp. That's just like in general. Place. The most underrated place in camp. I mean, that's. I, mean, I do. I do want to say write a, write a series of books about it. <laughs> the geography of camp as a whole is something that's always fascinated me. Danny and I have talked about how. And we don't, I don't know how other camps do this, but the, the way that you grow up in camp, like you start off in these little cabins that oversees the lake and, you know, but like you see the big kids down in the Cowser house, but that's the Cowser house. They're, they're too big, you know, but you get a view of what it's like when you're older. And then you, you know, you grow up, you go to the circle when you're 11 or 12. And it's like, that's like after college when like you move to the city, you know, and like you're a downtown Baco and. All your buddies are there, and the courts are there, and the lake is there, and everything's there. And the close, and the counseling's there. Yeah, the water Would you say that, room. so it's the long been debated, porches, you know? it's long been debated, is Bunk 13 the center prime location? Because we I, talk- I've, I've always said 15. I've always said 15 has got... Mm. See, the, the, part of, the part you're underestimating about Bunk 13 that comes in really valuable, so that's the one bunk of little kids that actually gets to... Semi watch the Baco three yeah, through the also windows. Yeah, probably the most frequently used bathroom by visitors. That's a good. That's a good point. It's a fair you know critique. I mean? That's, that's not that's that's fair. Like Bunk fifteen is an experience. You know, you get yeah. the fourteen steamer up runs out. You're right there, but I I don't want to cut Greg off when 
Greg, with like the downtown camp. I want you to keep going because sorry, keep like, going, keep going. I feel like that's a fascinating downtown, downtown Baco in the circle, which is what it, it's downtown Baco. Like it, if there's a day when those when those bunks are on a trip, camp is so different, you know. Whereas like if another bunk's on a trip, it's you still it's still kind of a regular thing. But when downtown Baco is deserted, it camps weird. Um, and then you go down the hill, which is when you're usually you know 12 years old, which you don't. You, nobody wants to see any 12-year-olds, you know? So you put them down the hill, and they have, like, their own little city down there with two amazing porches and the sunrooms in 16 and 17. You got the volleyball court, the baseball. There's a frisbee. Between 8 and 8.30, if you ever want to be a camper at camp, be in bunk 60 or something. Yeah, there's a, lot of, um, there's a lot of places down there. Um, just like the area is built for 12-year-old creativity, just, like, inventing frisbee games and... The Gaga Pit, and there's just like great. There's a, there's a great. There's a great spot for roof. There's a great spot for roof ball down there. Yeah, there's also some good for that age. Also, there's also a lot of good plaques in Bunk 16 and 17 for like good reading pleasure, and that's a good place to be. And then 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 you go to the Kowser House, which is basically like Danny. Danny had a. We were talking years ago about doing 30 for 30s for Baco, like ESPN 30 for 30s, and. Having one about the Kowser house. We may be doing it. we may be doing thirty for thirty uh, Baco podcast at some point soon. Yeah, Longer we're here in quarantine. Kowser house one. Danny named it um, Full House. No, I named it Full House. Nines over eights. Nines over eights. And you know the K house is obviously that's like it, that's that's like uh. Those are the puberty years. It's a yeah. And then you go up to the North Campus and you're up the hill and you know you have your own you know it's towards the end of your summer and you. You get a little bit more freedom with your program with electives, and and uh, you feel like you're contributing more to camp than not just taking it all in, which is good counselor training. So, uh, the geography of camp as well as a camper, I think, is is so perfect, and it's so it's so sacrosanct to everything we do. Sorry, it was yeah. done on purpose. Like I was about to ask I, that question. Do you think when I mean I, I don't know because everything kind of ha- happens organically, especially at a place like Baco. Um, but I remember being a funhouse kid and Greg talked a little bit about it where the, having the big kids in your visual where, you know, when you're living in bunk four and you look up the hill yeah. and you see the big kids from bunk 22 or 23 on their porches with like the towels hanging over. Meanwhile, you're in the funhouse. Like you still have to use the outside line only, you know, it's just like, you see like what it's supposed to look like, what it's going to look like. And they look bigger than they actually are. You know, like I'm looking up at, at, I don't know, give me the name of Pinkus. Yeah. Like Evan Pinkus is probably five, three, you know, (laughs) or, or you're looking up at kids were Maddie. You were probably, who was, who was up the hill when you were in the, I guess you were, you were never in the lower junior. But which which guys were in the you know waiters when you were when you were younger? Lee River. Those, no, Lee River. So it's really Lee River was my counselor my first summer. None of those guys are taller than five five. No. You know. But, yeah, but I just think oh, it adds. I just think the geography and the pro, and the pro, and the progression of how you grow up through the bunks is a huge part of the camp geography. Hundred percent. So underrated place in camp. Yeah, like my. Yeah, let's do that. I, one. That, that little that little area by the you know when you're younger that little uh, shortcut between the volleyball and the slopes you know when you find out about that you're that's that's the big time. 
Is it really <laughs> underrated, though? Are we sure it's underrated? Though? I don't think anyone could survive without being able to go directly from the slopes to the lower. I'm not sure if it's underrated. I think it's very properly rated, in my opinion. But, all right, I'll take your opinion. But would you, when, you, if, when you lived in the Kowser house and you were walking to the dining room, would you walk up the slope between, like, bunk 6 and 7, or did you go around by bunk 22 to 23? No, you're definitely going up the slopes. Does it make a difference if you're in lower or upper Kowser house? I think it does. So I never lived in the upper K, but I think, lower I think K- it does. Bunk six and seven cut through is more standard. I know back in my day it was. I think the around path by 22 and 23 in the waiter bunk is used more now than ever. And don't forget, when you walk that way and you walk by the admin bay window, it's the only full-length mirror in camp. Everybody knows about that one. (laughs) That still exists. And you know that you're always good for, like, you're always good for, like, a redeem sighting if you walk by there, like... You know, you never know. To answer your question, most underrated, in my opinion, uh, you know, the lower field soccer sideline is something that isn't a part of, like, the daily at camp. But when it is, like, when we have big events there, like when we host the soccer tournaments or whatever, and I'm not just talking about the gigantic rock that the kids sit on. But that sideline area where everybody puts the launchers, I feel like, I feel like we've had some big moments there, and it's like a part of camp that nobody really talks about all, all that much. It's not It wins the heat check award, like whatever it makes its. It that, yeah. Totally, totally, totally. Definitely a heat I mean, check. That's it, where to man happened. It can go, yeah. yeah, it can go unused for like a couple weeks, and then like all of a sudden, you know. Either it's going to be the 13th soccer game or you have the USA World Counselor game. Like, there's or a few, breaking Olympics there. Yeah, there's a few yeah, times I mean, this summer. You, you know, the, the, that there to man break a couple of years ago in the lower was... Uh, that goes down to one of the... Are we sure that really happened moments? I don't know if it was a dream or not that Redeem was doing the bear to man dance on the lower uh, field. Maddie, in the summer of uh, 07, I believe it was, we did donkey basketball and Radim was riding a donkey on the middle <laughs> basketball court so that actually happened. can we just have a minute to discuss donkey basketball because i've heard a couple things over the years about it but i actually know very little so can i just get for me and the people of my generation who weren't actually present for donkey basketball can we just get a uh, brief cliff notes version of what that actually looked like yeah i mean it was i think First of all, before we still tell the story, who, like, which person, whose idea was it? That's that's what I was about to say. So, I think this came from the maintenance staff, I believe. I think Ronnie and Brutus and and Danny were like, oh, man, you guys, you got to check this out. There's this thing called donkey basketball. And immediately we're like, tell me more. It sounds incredible. And so, we, I didn't believe it. I didn't believe it, right? I mean, and I was the one that, like, helped make it happen. I still didn't actually think it was going to happen. And it was an evening activity. Yeah, it was co-ed. Co-ed. Um, and the trucks rolled in. And it was one of those... Uh, we've seen a lot of weird things happen unexpectedly at camp. Like, when the, when we had satellite internet, like, the guy that would come fix it, it's like he came in on a Harley and would fix the, the satellite. Um, 
donkey basketball, some of the weird... Um, like we talked about with the fire truck getting stuck. Yeah, like Friday nights, a bizarre weekend on the non-Rod Begonias, like improvised. I've had some so, weird magicians. Yeah, yeah, so there's like a lot, a lot of weird people. This is not going to come to surprise of anyone. A lot of weird people come into camp. And that's just... We, part of it is where we are, um, you know, in, the, in that part of the country. So the, the trucks rolled in... And you can see the dog, you know, it's like when you drive by a horse trailer on the highway and you can like look in and see the horse do the thing. And you're do like, we wow, think that in 2020, the animal rights people would have permitted donkey basketball to happen? Yeah, it, I, don't, I, don't. I think it happens. I think it's a thing. I think Still it's a, a thing. thing. I, I don't know to answer your question, but I think donkey basketball is like a thing. So they, they roll in and they drove down to the courts. And, you know, anybody who who thought that, you know, anybody who bet on donkeys being delivered to the Baco courts... They won. They probably won big that day. Yeah, and it was like only staff members over twenty-one. We had to sign like a waiver. Yeah. We all got on these donkeys, and the weirdest part is we played on the middle court, which I don't get. I guess maybe because there's the maybe just because of the viewing, or I don't know. But some of the donkeys like. Nobody, like, ran off, but some, like, walked all the way out towards Bruno's tennis shack. Yeah, like, Micah Noble was on, headwater, former headwaterfront Micah Noble was on the donkey that just started walking all the way to the Bruno's tennis shack. But what chat. was the basketball element? It was like, you. it was almost like a team like handball. It was like polo. Where you're passing and moving, uh, but you're moving via, via the donkey. And then when you got close enough, you would shoot. Like, there was no dribbling or anything. But that's yeah, a good question. Yeah, honestly, Maddie, it was one of those things like it might have happened, it might have not, but it's a great punchline for future. If you're a young kid now at Baco and you're hearing about that, you picture it like looking so weird, I bet, and be like, oh, like that happened. Almost the way I picture, you know, things happening at camp 20 years before I was there. I picture it in black and white, you know? But I don't understand, like, in terms of how is this actually, like, entertainment, aside from, like, watching uh, random Maddie, counselors. Maddie, I, I, I don't know if you heard him, but Radim was on a donkey on the like, middle court. That's entertainment. Okay. basketball, that's entertainment. Thompson. So, but I assume it must have not been that successful if it was a one-year. didn't have a lot of staying power. Let's not a lot of shelf life. We're talking about it right now, so. That's a fair point. So, consider it talked about if you're still listening to this podcast 42 minutes in. Um, any other camp geography topics we want to hit? Nah. Danny's a big Superdome guy. He's been there for a lot of awesome Superdome moments. I mean, the lake is the big cell. The Arts and Crafts Shack. Camp's beautiful. Can we talk about the Superdome for a minute when it first... What was the first ever event to occur the in the Superdome? The first big event at the Superdome was a co-ed July 4th. Oh, nine. Fourth of July show, and the it was 2009, and the stage was set up on the dining room baseline. Yeah, like like they, under that ba- under that main basket. Road, which is really not how we do any... Yeah, I was going to say, no. Ron Begon was like that a couple of years ago, but normally we do stuff either facing the lake or with our backs to the lake. It's just because of the way the acoustics are in there. But Danny did an unbelievable, Danny wore a, that was when the Baco band started really taking off and Max and Smiley were probably at the peak of their powers at camp and we had Pete Carp on drums and we had a really, the Baco band had really taken off and Michael Jackson had just passed away and this was before any of the negative 
news about Michael had really taken over. And Danny wore a my Magic Johnson, Magic Johnson uh, USA. USA jersey, probably his American flag bandana, and saying "Man in the Mirror" with the Baco band. And I remember during the like the like the the peak of the song, Danny jumped so high I thought he was going to go through the roof of the Superdome. So you're big into it the... Was, it wasn't the moment that Ginzi's shot was, though. No, that, no. That's incredible. Now, the main squeeze night and the Ginzi shot are... That's one, two, or two, one for me. Yeah, I think I think we're going to do a... Uh, we might be doing a 30 for 30 on... Honestly, we could do we could do a whole, like, hour-long 30 for 30 on both of this. Both of these. Oh, yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm totally in for any of the 30 for 30s. Yeah, so we'll be doing those soon. Um, I think that, I think we've covered a lot of our bases. We'll, of course, be back with many future podcasts, 30 for 30s. We're going to be coming up with a list of some good, like, quick 20, 30-minute, just, like, explorations into a certain moment in camp history. Um, but I think podcasts like these are good, too. We hope everyone out there is safe and doing well. Uh, thank you guys so much for doing this podcast. Hope we can do it again soon. All right, Maddie. Always good to see you.